We open the Holy Scriptures to Job chapter 19. In Job 19, Job gives expression to his grief and sufferings, which were aggravated by the poor counsel of his friends. Near the end of this chapter, we have a stunning and a beautiful confession made by Job of the hope of the resurrection. And so we'll read the entire chapter, but we will focus especially on verses 25 through 27 in connection with the first question and answer of Lord's Day 22. Then Job answered and said, How long will ye vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? These ten times have ye reproached me. Ye are not ashamed that ye make yourselves strange to me. And be it indeed that I have erred, mine error remaineth with myself. If indeed ye will magnify yourselves against me and plead against me, my my reproach. Know now that God hath overthrown me, and hath compassed me with his net. Behold, I cry out of wrong, but I am not heard. I cry aloud, but there is no judgment. He hath fenced up my way that I cannot pass, and he hath set darkness in my paths. He hath stripped me of my glory, and taken the crown from my head. He hath destroyed me on every side, and I am gone, and mine hope hath he removed like a tree. He hath also kindled his wrath against me, and he counted me unto him as one of his enemies. His troops come together and raise up their way against me, and encamp round about my tabernacle. He hath put my brethren far from me, and mine acquaintance are verily estranged from me. My kinsfolk have failed, and my familiar friends have forgotten me. They that dwell in mine house and my maids count me for a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. I called my servant, and he gave me no answer. I entreated him with my mouth. My breath is strange to my wife, though I entreated for the children's sake of my, mine own body. Yea, young children despised me. I arose and they spake against me. All my inward friends abhorred me, and they whom I loved are turned against me. My bone cleaveth to my skin and to my flesh, and I am escaped with the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me, have pity upon me, O ye my friends, for the hand of God hath touched me. Why do ye persecute me as God? And are not satisfied with my flesh. Oh that my words were now written. Oh that they were printed in a book. That they were graven with an iron pen. And led in, a, in the rock forever. For I know that my redeemer liveth. And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin. Worms destroy this body. Yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, 
and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. But ye should say, Why persecute we him, seeing the root of the matter is found in me? Be ye afraid of the sword, for wrath bringeth the punishments of the sword, that ye may know there is a judgment. Thus far we read in the Holy Scriptures, on the basis of this passage and the whole Bible, we have the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism, now in Lord's Day 22, and we focus on the first question and answer, number 57. Explaining to us the next article of the Apostles' Creed, question 57 asks, What comfort doth the resurrection of the body afford thee? That not only my soul after this life shall be immediately taken up to Christ its head, but also that this my body, being raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like unto the glorious body of Christ. Beloved in the Lord, throughout the ages, the hope of the Christian faith has often been something that those who are wise in their own eyes have scoffed at. You think of the philosophers, the Greek philosophers on Mars Hill, who scoffed at Paul's preaching of the resurrection of the dead in Acts 17. Many of the Greeks in Paul's day had a very wrong view of the body. They despised it. They looked at it as something like a cage for the soul. Something that the soul needed to be liberated from. And so the resurrection of the body was an idea that was absurd to them. In their mind, the resurrection of the body would be the reincarceration of the soul. In our day and age, men scoff not only at the idea of resurrection, but the very idea of the human soul. The worldview that is dominant in our day and age is the worldview of materialism, which says matter is all that exists. The physical is all that is real. And so there is no spiritual dimension to man. What we in the past have thought to be spiritual is simply the activity of the physical organ called the brain. And therefore, when the activity of the brain ceases, the person ceases to be. There is no soul. All you are is matter, a temporary combination of atoms which will one day fall apart and you will cease to exist. Such is the hopeless message of the dominant worldview of our day and age. But over against the ancient errors of the Greek philosophers and over against the dominant worldview of our day and age, the Christian joyfully confesses the truth of the Apostles' Creed, I believe the resurrection of the body. And this marvelous, wonderful truth of the coming resurrection of my body is a truth that is firmly grounded upon the historical work of our Savior Jesus Christ who came and who suffered and died and who rose again 
to deliver us from our sins and to give us new life and resurrection. Christ is my living Redeemer, as Job says, who has purchased me body and soul. All that I am belongs to Him. He who saves my soul likewise saves my body. And he who preserves my soul in life will also raise my body unto life at God's appointed time. This is the Christian hope. A light in the empty darkness of this world. The hope of the resurrection And life eternal. And this is a hope beloved that ought to radiate from the Christian. As he lives in the midst of this world. So much so that the people of this world look upon us. And they wonder and are even prompted to ask for the reason of the hope that is within us. Hope in Christ. Hope for the resurrection of the body. By the power of Christ. The sure resurrection of this my body. That's our theme this morning. We will first look at the wonder. The wonder that is the resurrection of my body. Secondly the necessity of the resurrection of my body. And finally the comfort that this sure truth gives to us here and now. While question and answer 57 focuses on the Christian's ultimate hope, the resurrection of the body, this question and answer first concerns itself with another very pressing question, namely, what happens to me when I die? When that inescapable hour comes and my body goes cold And lifeless. When the light vanishes from the eyes. When there is that unnatural stillness. Where am I? What becomes of me? Is there still an I at all? What happens when I die? And the catechism gives the answer of God's word right out of the gate. This is what happens when the believer dies. My soul after this life shall be immediately taken up to Christ its head. That's the first part of the wonder and the first part of the comfort for us this morning as we confess I believe in the resurrection of the body. My soul. You have a soul. Or to put it better, you are your soul. Contrary to the fake wisdom of this world that says you do not have a soul because we can't see it in the microscope and we haven't found it in an x-ray, the Christian confesses, 
I have a soul. I am a soul. Because God created me this way. My soul is the spiritual part of my being. God created me a spiritual as well as a physical being. I have a soul. I am my soul. And my soul is the seat of my consciousness. It is the seat of my personality. It is the seat of my intellect. My will. Yes, God created me with a physical body. And that physical body is important. You are your body as well. Your body is the house that God created for your soul to live in. Your physical body is the instrument through which the soul lives. Indeed, as the psalmist says in Psalm 139, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We are a mysterious union of soul and body. And the soul expresses itself through the body. And the soul governs the body. That's a very mysterious thing that we can't wrap our minds around. The mysterious connection between body and soul. When the believer dies. When you will die and when I will die. What happens is our soul is separated from our body. And the body goes down to the grave temporarily. And the soul is taken up by the power of God to Christ its head. The body which is subject to the powers of corruption breaks down. It loses its vitality. And the soul is uncoupled from the body. And the body cannot live without the soul. But at death, the soul continues its conscious existence. For the unbeliever, when he dies, his soul continues its conscious existence, but is sent to the place of condemnation and eternal death, hell. We must keep in in our minds the biblical idea of death and not the idea of our world. The world says death is non-existence, but death is not non-existence. Death is a ruined form of existence. And for the unbeliever and for the ungodly, at the moment of death, his soul descends into eternal death. A conscious form of existence, but a ruined form of existence under the just judgment of God. But for the believer, when he dies, when she dies, his or her soul is taken up to Christ, its head. To live with Christ, consciously in glory. You have a life, already now, that cannot die. That first work of God's salvation, that we call regeneration... That the Bible refers to as being born again. A new spiritual birth. What is that? It's the Spirit's work of infusing, planting into you the new life of Christ. Which is an undying life. And thus at the moment of death. Our soul. Which has that new life of Christ. Goes. Or rather is taken. Up to Christ. Its living head. Christ will not suffer any person whom he has purchased with his blood to be separated from him. Not for a moment. And that's why the catechism says immediately. And that's an important word. We want to know, when will I be with Christ? Immediately. At the moment 
of death. When my eyes close in this world, my soul's eyes open in heaven with Christ. There is no soul sleep. There is no period of dormancy. There is no hellish waiting room called purgatory. Immediately, immediately with Christ. What a comfort that is. That's the hope-filled answer of the Word of God to that pressing question. What happens to me when I die? When I die and when my body goes cold and when the light of these physical eyes is dimmed, I am in heaven. I have not ceased to be. But my soul's eyes are enlightened with the vision of the countenance of my Savior Jesus Christ. When there is that unnatural stillness of my body here below, there is a vibrant activity of my soul with Christ in glory, living, living like never before. That's what happens to the believer when he or she dies. That's why Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 23, That to depart is to be with Christ, which is far better than being here. We confess this and we believe this because the Bible says so. We take God as at His word and there's nothing more logical in all the world than to believe the word of the living God whose word is faithful and true. The Bible teaches this very thing. And let's see that for a moment. The Bible teaches that at the moment of my death, my soul is taken up immediately to Christ its head. In Solomon's words, in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 7, speaking of the death of the body, he says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Jesus preached in Matthew 10 verse 28, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. When the body dies, the soul of the believer does not go down into the grave with it, but is taken by the power of God to Christ its head. Thus Jesus promised to the dying penitent malefactor beside him in Luke 23 verse 34. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. What Jesus meant is today your soul will be with me in paradise. And Jesus who made that promise to the malefactor caused it to be written in the scriptures because it's his promise to every believer. At the hour of your death. Today you will be with me, Jesus says. And therefore Jesus is able to say just a little bit later in Luke 23, as he gives up the ghost, that is, as he dies and gives up his spirit, his soul, he says to his Father, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. This was the truth the Apostle Paul was confident of having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. And because of this truth, Paul could say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And Paul could say also in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
this hope rests on the rock-solid foundation of the Word of God. My soul, your soul, after this life, shall be immediately taken up to Christ, its head. But now, the Christian's ultimate hope is something even more than this. The Christian is not satisfied with an eternal half-life, an eternal half-life spent only in the soul, because the Word of God promises us more. And we are not satisfied with anything less than what the Gospel of Jesus Christ promises us. God made me not only to be a soul, but God made me body and soul. And my hope of everlasting life is for life in the body and in the soul. Paul gives expression to that hope, that full hope, that ultimate hope in Romans 8 verse 23 where he says that we Christians groan within ourselves and we groan for what? For the redemption of our body. The ultimate hope of the Christian is not merely the immediate experience of glory in my soul at the moment of death, but my ultimate hope is that my body will be raised. The sure resurrection of this, this, my body. The resurrection of the body is the culmination of all of Jesus' saving work for us and in us. It is the finishing touch Of our salvation. It is the work of Christ whereby he translates us from creatures belonging to the order of this present world and age. And translates us as new creatures belonging to the order of the world that is to come. The finishing touch of our salvation. When will that happen? When? We wanted to know when will I be with Christ at the moment of death, but when will my body be raised? The catechism based on the Bible teaches us that the resurrection of our bodies will take place on the last day. On the day of Jesus Christ when he returns in power and in glory. Jesus' first coming, he came to suffer and die to pay for our sins, to redeem us body and soul, and to rise from the dead to give us that new spiritual life. But at the end of this age, he's going to come again. And when he comes again, he will perform the last two great works, which works will usher in eternity future in the new heavens and the new earth. And those last two works are the resurrection of the dead and the final judgment. Our bodies will be raised on the last day. By the inspiration of the Spirit, centuries and centuries ago, centuries and centuries before Jesus' first coming, Job saw and Job understood this. Job 19 verse 25. In the midst of his sufferings, agony, indescribable. This is the hope that sustained Job. This is the hope that lifted his soul and kept him from being swallowed up in the abyss 
of his sufferings. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Job knew of the coming Christ. He believed that promise of the gospel that was given all the way back in Eden to Adam and Eve. That the seed of the woman would come to crush the serpent's head, to lift the curse, and to redeem God's people. And here, Job sees the entire work of Christ as a whole. He sees the first coming of Christ. When Jesus would stand upon the earth at the end of the Old Testament age. When he would suffer, when he would die, and when he would rise again. But Job also sees the latter day. The latest day. The last day when the Redeemer will again stand upon the earth. Raise the dead. What Job foresaw by the Spirit, Jesus himself taught in his earthly life and ministry. John 5, verse 28. Jesus says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. John 6 verse 40, Jesus says, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. The resurrection of your body and mine and the bodies of all God's people Take place on that last day. That's the when. But now the what. What will this resurrection be like? And now the second half of answer 57. Lays out in summary form. The Bible's beautiful. Comforting. Hopeful teaching. Of the resurrection of our bodies. After the semicolon. But also. That this my body. And notice that choice language there. This, that word this is a pointer finger, and it's pointing right at this. This, my body, being raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like unto the glorious body of Christ. Raised by the power of Christ. That's the resurrection. It's the wonder work of Christ's power. Whereby he restores the physical frame of my body. And restores life to my body. On that last day. Christ will reconstitute the substance of my body. He will put it back together. And he will put it back together. Out of the very same matter. That our physical bodies are now made of. He resurrects my body. The body that was born on your birthday will be the body that is raised on the last day. It will be accomplished by Christ's power. As John 5 indicates, by Christ's powerful voice, the good shepherd will call The Redeemer will stand on the earth on that latter day. And the Good Shepherd will call. And the dead bodies of His sheep will hear His voice. And they will come to their shepherd. 
though the long sleep of death may have turned those bodies into particles of dust. The particles of dust will obey the voice of the Son of God and come together again. There is no difficulty for the living God. The God who first formed our human bodies out of the dust of the earth can easily call those bodies back from the dust to which they returned. Christ will also summon the scattered ashes. He will speak to the sea and it will give up the dead that it had swallowed up. The matter of all human flesh will assemble at the voice of the Son of God. And as 1 Corinthians 15, 52 says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. And we will be made whole again. And the finishing touch of our salvation will be done. Whole again. Christ, by that same power that He used or will use to raise our bodies, will reunite our souls with our resurrected bodies. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, those souls, your soul, my soul, glorified with Christ in heaven, experiencing conscious glory, will in a moment be reunited with my resurrected body. My resurrected body now glorified and refashioned such that it is the fit and suitable instrument for my glorified soul. Suitable To be the house of my soul through which I experience life everlasting in the new heavens and the new earth. We will be made whole again. Perfectly whole. Glorified in wholeness. Body and soul. Thus the beautiful line with which our question and answer ends We will be made like unto the glorious body of Jesus Christ. There's a couple ideas there. We will be made like Christ's body. Our bodies will be. That means in the first place, let this be emphasized. This my body will be raised. This very same flesh I was born with. When Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't arise from the dead with a body that God created from scratch. But the very same body that was crucified on the cross. Rose from the dead. Jesus showed the nail prints to his disciples. And the spear scar in his side. This my body. The very same body. When Jesus in the latter day stands upon the earth and He calls our bodies from the grave. He's not creating something new from scratch, but He's raising this my body. The body I have now is the only body I will ever have because this is the body God created and ordained for me to experience everlasting life in this body. Job understood this marvelous truth. Verses 26 and 27. Job says, 
And though after my skin, worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins, and reins there refer to the internal organs, though my internal organs be consumed within me, Here Job gives a graphic description of the awful reality of death. Job knows his flesh is going to rot. Worms are going to digest the matter of his body. His matter is going to be absorbed into other creatures. And yet he says, In my flesh, in this my body, I shall see God. The very flesh that worms shall destroy will stand again upon the earth and see the face of my living Redeemer. These very eyes which will one day wither away in their sockets will be the eyes that I lay upon the living Christ. Living eyes. Resurrected eyes. Though my internal organs will be consumed within me as my body rots in the grave, yet in this flesh I will see Him and glorify Him. Death will not have my flesh, Job confesses. Because I have a Redeemer who has redeemed my flesh and my Redeemer lives. In my flesh, I will see him. That's the resurrection that Job confesses and that we confess, beloved, this morning. This very body shall be raised. And with these very eyes, we shall see the Christ. This my body. But now in the second place, this my body will be wonderfully changed, made like unto the glorious body of Jesus Christ. When Jesus arose, He arose with the same body, but His body was glorified. It was transfigured. It was changed in that it had passed beyond death. It was a body filled with immortal, that is, undying life. It was an incorruptible body. A body that was no longer subject to the effects and the powers of sin. It was a body that could not get sick. It was a body that could not decay. It was a body that could not lose its vitality or its power. It was a body renewed and adapted by God for everlasting life. And that's what our bodies will be like. They will be raised As 1 Corinthians 15 says, they will be raised in incorruption. They will be raised in power, in honor. They will be raised a spiritual body. And that doesn't mean that our bodies, once raised, will no longer be physical. They will be. But it means that our resurrected bodies will be adapted for life in the new heavens and the new earth. Where heaven and earth are joined. Right now, this body is of the earth earthy. My senses only perceive things of the earth. Spiritual things are invisible and beyond the grasp of these earthly senses. But when our bodies are raised, 
They will be spiritual bodies. Still material. But glorified matter. My senses will be awoken to the spiritual realities around me. Such that with my eyes I will be able to see and perceive what before was hidden. A new refashioned body fit for the new heavens and the new earth. A body that no longer belongs to the passing fashion of this world. But a body that belongs to the order of the world to come. A fully finished new creature in Christ. This my body redeemed, glorified, made perfect. That's the wonder of the resurrection. That's what the believer has coming. That's the Christian hope that is a light in the darkness of this dying world. Now more briefly, let's look for a few moments at the necessity of the resurrection of our bodies. And this bears pointing out because sometimes in the Christian church, there has been an overemphasis on the salvation of the soul to the neglect of the salvation of the body. Sometimes that old Greek philosophical thinking affected Christian thinking so that all of the emphasis was on the soul going to heaven and the body gets forgotten about. We must see that in God's work of salvation, the resurrection of our bodies is necessary. And so briefly, there are several considerations I want to lay out here. First, the resurrection of the body is necessary because God's purpose in creation demands it. In the beginning, God made us body and soul. And when God made Adam and Eve body and soul, he said, it is very good. That's what we are. And that's what God intends us to be forever. The body is a permanent part of us. The body is not a temporary tent for the soul to be discarded at the end of this earthly life. But God's goal is for us to live with Him forever, body and soul. Sin has ravaged creation. But God doesn't scrap creation. He redeems and He renews. He does not surrender our body to death But he saves us body and soul. God's purpose in creation demands resurrection. Secondly. The resurrection of the body is necessary. Because the very nature of God. As the living God demands it. Think of God's covenant promise. Given to Abraham. I will be your God. And you shall be my people. Is God the God of just part of us? Or all of us? Put it another way, is God saying there, I will be the God of your soul, but not the God of your body? We're going to discard that? No, God is the God of his people in their wholeness. That's why Jesus said to the Sadducees, God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. He is a God who gives life to his people, who will have for himself a living people, a fully living people. A people redeemed body and soul. 
He will have not half of you, but all of you. And He will glorify Himself, not in the redemption of part of you, but in the salvation of all that you are. He is the living God. And it is contrary to His nature to leave part of His redeemed people dead. Thirdly, the resurrection is necessary because the redemptive work of Christ Redeemed us body and soul. And this is most basic. Christ redeemed every part of us. That's central to our only comfort in life and in death. You go back to the first Lord's Day of the Catechism. We don't say that this is my comfort. That I belong to Jesus Christ in the soul merely. But I belong to Him body and soul. Jesus is not a partial Savior. Salvation is not a half job. It is complete. It is whole. He redeems all that I am. Sin corrupted my entire nature. Body and soul. And Christ with the shedding of his blood. Covers all my sins. And redeems all that sin corrupted. And at the resurrection of the body. That finishing touch. Of his saving work. We see the completeness and the perfection of his salvation. In that absolutely everything that sin ravaged in me. Christ has redeemed. And Christ restores. And Christ perfects. And lifts to an even higher plane of glory. Than even Adam and Eve had in Eden. It would tarnish the glory of Christ. If your body was not raised and made like his. Fourth, Jesus' incarnation and headship makes our bodily resurrection necessary. Jesus assumed what? Not just a human body, not just a human soul, but all that belongs to being human. Human body and human soul. He did so to be our Emmanuel. And he continues, very man and true God. And we who are his members are to be with him in the fullness of our redeemed humanity, body and soul. Jesus was glorified in his human flesh. So too the members of Christ the head must be glorified in their bodies and in their souls. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 says, Now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. He is the first fruits. And we are the rest of the harvest that must follow. The resurrection is necessary. Because it is a beautiful part. Indeed, it is the finishing touch On the whole work of God's salvation. And the resurrection of our bodies. Brings God great. Great. Glory. The resurrection of our bodies. Brings to final and complete fulfillment. All of the gospel's precious promises. The living God will live forever with a living people. 
And so we come to the comfort, though that comfort has been woven throughout the truths already considered. You can't talk about the resurrection without talking about comfort, but let us press the comfort now upon our hearts. That's really the focus of the catechism, isn't it? In the question, what comfort doth the resurrection of the body afford thee? That's what the catechism wants to drive home to us. This is not an academic truth. This isn't something merely interesting for our minds to ponder. But this is a truth that is to be implanted in our heart to comfort us day by day, here and now. There is nothing more relevant to your life here and now than this confession, I believe the resurrection of the dead. Because it is this truth that gets the Christian through tragedy. It is this truth that gets the Christian through the ugly reality of death. It is this truth that is our hope. We need it here and now because we are a people from a physical point of view who are dying and living in a dying and decaying world. Every direction you look, you see the ugly face of death. And death is a hungry monster whose appetite is never satisfied. Everywhere you look, you see death feasting itself. Decay is always at work. Decay never takes a day off. With every passing day, more and more life is devoured by death. Is there ever a day without some fresh grave being filled at the cemetery? The wise sage Agur solemnly observed in Proverbs 30 verse 15, There are three things that are never satisfied, yea, four things that say not, it is enough. And the very first thing he mentions afterwards The grave. Is there anyone here who has not been at the bedside of a sick loved one? Or at the graveside? How many of you here this morning have been there many times? How many of us here feel in our own flesh in one way or another that gnawing power of decay that one day is going to get us So to speak. Who here feels the fresh or long standing sorrow of loss because a loved one has died? The comfort is that death is dead. Death is mortally wounded by Christ. Death's power is undone. The monster is slain. Jesus Christ, by His death on the cross, has put death to death. And His empty tomb has sealed shut death's own grave. He, Christ, has brought life and immortality to light. The resurrection of the body, promised and sure. So that whenever we see the ugly face of the devouring monster death, we tremble not for him because our Redeemer liveth. And on the latter day, he will stand again upon this earth.
Now those ancient words of Job are our words this morning. And the enduring comfort that sustained Job is the comfort that sustains you, believer. It is a comfort so strong it banishes the shadows. It is a comfort so strong that it defangs that devouring monster of death. It vanquishes fear. It overcomes sorrow. It instills peace and joy. Say it with Job. I know my Redeemer lives. And if my Redeemer lives, the redeemed must live also. If my Redeemer lives body and soul, then the redeemed must live body and soul. There is nothing more certain then than death's defeat and my victory. There is nothing more certain than this. I shall live with my Redeemer. And though one day worms destroy this flesh, though one day the light of these eyes is extinguished and they wither away in their sockets, though one day there is that unnatural stillness, though one day this body, my loved one's body, goes into that pit of the grave, it's only for a little while. Because this my body shall stand on the latter day when my Redeemer stands here. My Redeemer's empty tomb is the pledge and promise of my own empty tomb and my loved one's empty tomb. And this my flesh will see Him and then see Him and live with Him forever. And that flesh... That flesh in the grave that I visit at the cemetery will stand with me and see the Redeemer. These eyes, and His eyes, and her eyes, and the eyes of all of the family of faith will stand and see Christ in life forevermore. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things will then have passed away. Take that comfort with you, beloved, in this dying and decaying world. Wield this comfort as the sword of the Spirit to slay the fear of death and to subdue the sorrow. Let this comfort rejoice your heart, even at the bedside, even at the graveside. I believe the resurrection of the body. I know my Redeemer lives. In this my flesh, I shall see God. Amen. Faithful Father in in heaven, we thank Thee for our salvation in Christ. We groan in ourselves and yearn for the redemption of our bodies, for the end of death and decay, for the undying life of the age to come. 
press this word upon our hearts to comfort us in the here and now. And may that latter day of Christ's coming come quickly. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.